<laughs> I'm laughing, folks. Hi, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with another episode of Inside Curling from BC, Edmonton, Toronto. The show's called Inside Curling. Uh, if you live in Winnipeg or if you live in Edmonton, it's minus 11 here. Uh, Winnipeg's supposed to get 8,000 centimeters of snow. We should call it outside curling. <laughs> <laughs> You're all set, Kev. Are you ready to go? You're in Toronto, right? You bet. Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll here, Jimmy. All right. Throw your coats on, everybody. Warren, uh, I don't want to talk to you anymore being in BC right now. It's spring. Minus 11. Stay inside. Another episode of Inside Curling coming up. Last rock. Eighth end. Up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right here, Last guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us this morning uh, for the week of April 13th. It's Easter. Kev, like I said, if you live in Winnipeg, it's going to be a little tough on the kids having to wear snowshoes for the Easter egg hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure they're not white eggs. Everyone jump on the skidoo. We're going Easter egg hunting in Edmonton. <laughs> thanks a lot to all our sponsors, of course, Sports Interaction. They bring you what's happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost is the sponsor of Mailbag. Hot Rock Topics is brought to you by Coyote Tractor and Storytime. Thanks a lot to Meridian. And we've got a guest today who we'll tell you about in a second is brought to you by Goldline. The World Men's finished up this week in Vegas. Kevin, you were there. We're going to get the wrap on all of that. It looked like the best two teams made it to the final. We'll talk about that and get your reaction as well, Warren. The Grand Slam is up and running again. The Prince's Auto Players Championship is in Toronto. That's where you are, Kev. Let's figure out who's going to probably win that and see what's happening. Something happened very rare at the uh, World Men's in Vegas. A uh, player was ejected from the game. Jeez, they're getting nasty, Kev. They're getting nasty down there. Uh, maybe maybe a fight broke out. We'll have to find out. And what about the playoff system? Uh, I've seen a bunch of events over the spring and different ways of getting teams into the playoffs. Let's look at that and figure out what the best way is to do it. Also, we've got some interesting emails. Uh, one we're going to look at is the idea of World Cup events. And in the house... Okay, uh, Nick Adine just won his sixth world championship, okay? Let me read the resume, okay, you guys? Give me, give me like 10 seconds here, okay, who our guest is. He currently plays third for Nicholas Adine. He is the first curler in history to win four Olympic medals, gold, silver, and two bronze. He is the first to secure two Olympic medals in different curling disciplines in the same Olympic Games. He's won six times the World Men's Curling Championship, seven-time European Men's Curling Championship, the first curler in history to win three gold medals in major international curling championships in a single calendar year, the World's Men's Curling Championship, the European, and the World Mixed Doubles. 
Having also won two World's Mixed Doubles Championships, gold and bronze, he is the first and only curler to have seven World Curling Championship gold medals in the senior men's division. And as of the end of 2021, he's won 11 World Curling Championship medals in that division. He also holds the record for the most gold medals in international competitions. He is the only member of Team Sweden to have competed in all of the World Men's Curling Championships from 2011 to 2021. He's won medals in all but one of these championships, as well as playing in multiple positions as Skip. Kevin, this guy's unbelievable. Oscar Erickson is our guest today. Holy man. Hey, Jimmy, he also won three Grand Slams in one season. Oh, my God. I ran out of breath. They won three in one season. They've won three total, but they won three in one year. So incredible as well. Holy man, is that a lot? This guy does nothing but win. And then story time. Kev, you're going to take us down memory lane uh, with one of your many, many experiences from the past. If you want to email us, do it at insidecurling at gmail.com. Okay, boys, uh, let's get to it. What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. You got to be 19, and we'd like you to play responsibly. Kev, lots happening around the Vegas world men's. Brad Gushu, not too happy with his loss, Kevin. <laughs> but let's start at the beginning. Give us your wrap. Terrific event. Anytime you can be in Vegas and, and play a, a curling event is wonderful. Between games, you go outside. It's beautiful outside. When, uh, when you're done watching the games of the day, you can head down to the Strip and watch a, watch a show or go for an incredible dinner and, uh, or do some gambling, whatever it is that, uh, that you like to do. But it, just, it is so much fun for everybody, the fans included. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, the curling part, I don't think there's a big surprise with who got in the final with Sweden playing Canada in the final. I think that was expected before the event ever started. USA getting into the bronze game. I don't think it was a surprise. Corey Dropkin's team, they're very young, but they're getting better all the time. They're improving. A bit of a surprise, though, Italy. Joel Retornaz and Amos Majaner, who was on our show a few weeks ago, um, getting bronze. So Team Italy, men's bronze, Olympic gold in mixed doubles. Something's going on in Italy. It's amazing. Right. Uh, of course, uh, Nicodine in the final. Uh, to your point, beat Brad Gushu in the final. Now, I was not there for the final. I, I watched and called games uh, the entire event until after the semis, but then I had to fly on Sunday, be able to get to Toronto on Monday <laughs> to, mm -hmm. uh, to the Players' Championship, which started Tuesday morning. I did not watch the final. I did hear, though, that things were tricky in the final as far as whatever, ice conditions. The ice was pretty good for most of the week. I was sitting behind the sheets watching some curlers shooting in the 90s, quite a few hundred percent. So ice was pretty good during the week, but I hear it got tricky in the final. When it comes to the ice speed, it was around 14 and a half, mm -hmm. sometimes as much as 14.8 hog to hog to hog. And then in the last end, it would stiffen up a little to around 14.2 or 14.3. So overall, a pretty good surface. It didn't get real heavy. The organizing committee, I thought, did a great job. And that's uh, John uh, Killerin, who was on our show last week. Just really well organized. So it's, it's quite the group, the organizing committee. They're really good at what they do. And I know they're excited when uh, this whole COVID thing is completely put to bed so uh, we can get the crowds full again. It was just tough for Canadians especially older Canadians, like my mom and dad, like, you know, they'd love to go to Vegas again and watch a curling event, but it's just something they won't do just yet. So hopefully uh, we can get all the curling fans coming back to Vegas again. Warren, you're totally familiar with events in Vegas. Boy, they pulled it off. Well done. Your reaction, Warren. 
Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I was uh, helping them a fair amount uh, scripts and things from here. Uh, mm-hmm. A few of us that worked on those events in the past as well didn't go because it, the event was, from a crowd point of view, so small. But it was a challenge, but it did happen. The ice issue and the rocks, uh, there was something going on there, whatever it is. Certainly in the last couple of draws, the ice appeared like it would was dished. In fact, that as the game progressed, rocks going from the inside out would curl less, uh, maybe as little as two to three feet, whereas from the outside in, it was moving five, six feet, which is sort of more or less the, the situation from side to side during most of the week. So it's really difficult to explain what was the cause of all that. Hard to say because today... The way they prepare those sheets, at the end of every draw, they take all the pedal off. So there's no pedal buildup like there used to be in the old days. So I'm still investigating to some degree as to exactly what was going on with the whole ice and rock situation, but there were some challenges for sure. But as Kevin suggested, the, the percentages were pretty consistent. I'm looking at uh, Team Canada's overall shooting for the week. Their average for the week was 86%. I'm looking at Brad Gushu. He struggled a bit with the first couple of games. He was in the high 70s. And then after that, he never slipped below 80, and he had four games in the 90s. So overall, he played pretty well. And I know he found some challenges in that last game. Uh, hard to say what was going on, but hopefully from here on in, we won't have those kind of situations uh, exist as we look forward. But I thought the bright light of the whole thing, as Kevin mentioned, was Team Italy and their breakthrough into winning a medal at a world championship in the men's division, the first one ever. I thought the other bright light of the event was the U.S. team, young Corey Dropkin. And I can say young, he's 26 years old, but he's young in, in the whole world curling scene. I think he's very much a player of the future. I think we're going to see a lot of him. And uh, certainly he showed his best when he played Canada in the round robin, I think shooting almost 100% and really giving Brad Gushu no opportunity at all. So it was a good finish. The two best teams were in there. And uh, unfortunately for Brad, he was able to pull off a win. Kevin, is there a secret to beating a Dean? Is anyone going to do this? And when? <laughs> Well, you know, it's it, there is a comfort factor when you when you get to go to a lot of championships. There is, and I've talked to Nick about that. I talked to Oscar about it. You know, it, they go every year to the Worlds and and every Olympics, and so it matters when. But but Brad Gushu is comfortable also, and you know, there's no problem there as well. But a lot of teams that go to the World Championships or the Olympics are are there for the first time or or second time, and there's still a lot of pressure that you're not used to. Whereas Nicodine is one thousand percent used to the pressures looks forward to the pressures so there's an advantage there uh they are tough to beat though you've got such a talented team right from lead to skip and it is the way it is when you've got somebody who's really really good and gets to go every year that's a tough combination it really is and uh and they're well if they stick together as a team which i imagine they will they're gonna win more they're, they're not done yet i don't think right Brad Gushu's done a lot of curling, man. And, you know, if you asked any of those other teams, Kev, that you're talking about, we'll give you a silver, you know, would you take it? Uh, for sure they would. And well done, because Canada's been under the stress of everyone's opinion, Warren. We better improve. We better improve. You know, the, the Olympics wasn't the best ones, but they're back. Team Canada with the silver. Yeah, it's a good performance in every half. And certainly uh, in today's world at the top level curling, any game anybody can win when you've got Brad Gushu playing Nicodine, flip a coin. Right. Kevin, you're in Toronto, as we said, for the Grand Slam of Curling Princes Auto Players Championship is on this week. Or as Warren likes to call it, a bunch of teams that should be in the Scotties and Briars, but aren't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Is that what I call it, Jim? Is that what Warren calls it? (laughs) That's what Warren calls it. (laughs) Wow. I learned something today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm killing me here. I'm killing me here. Uh, Kev, you're there. Uh, How's this thing going to going to play out and uh, give us your picks. 
It's a triple knockout, which I love. Every game is really, really important. So that's terrific. You have to win three before you lose three. If you lose your third game, you're gone. It's very simple that way. You don't have tiebreakers, possibilities, so the last own draw stuff isn't a factor um, with like teams losing out of the event because their draw shot challenge isn't as good as somebody else's. So the Players' Championship was always my favorite event. Other than the Olympic Games, the Players' Championship was always my favorite. It's the best of the best. The only way you get in is on ranking. It does not matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if there's already four teams from a country. You can have a fifth one if you're good enough, if you qualify. So, you know, I always like that. Christy Jen and Jen, who uh, managed the Grand Slams, and Christy's fantastic. She's saying that the ticket sales here, we had in 2019, I took pictures, and we'll maybe try to put them over social media, of the building basically full in 2019 mm -hmm. on the Saturday, on the weekend. Ticket sales are quite a lot higher this year than they've ever been, including 2019. So that's really exciting for the Grand Slams that maybe I guess just because, you know, people are allowed to get back in the building. And uh, when it comes to who I'm thinking, well, it's pretty tough here. There's world champs and Olympic champions, Olympic medalists and world medalists on the women's and the men's side. But let's start with the women's. Uh, Eve Muirhead, uh, she's won the Players' Championship three times. She won the Olympic gold medal this year. On a roll, having fun. You've got to think that Eve will get to the final four. Sylvana Terenzoni, three-time uh, world champ, and they've won two slams before, so you, you've got to think that Terenzoni will be there. Jennifer Jones, she always plays well. I was talking to her uh, yesterday, had an interview with her, and, uh, and the Players is her favorite event. So she always plays, and she's won six Players Championships, if you can imagine. So I like her. And then uh, Carrie Anderson, three-time Canadian, back-to-back, uh, -back and the reigning Players Champion. Uh, so... That's, those are my four picks, but I could be wrong because the whole field are full of champions. So, but those, I'll pick those four. On the men's side, you just pretty much have to pick Bruce Mowat because he's a reigning players champion. I am going to stick with Botcher because they, they won the players the last time it was here in Toronto in 2019. So Brendan's very comfortable in this building. Uh, Kevin Cooey. And the reason being, I think uh, this is a big deal for him, his uh, last couple of events with uh, the old team. And he won the players in 2018, the year before that. And then Nicodine, um, they're just on a roll. Now, they're playing basically three-handed here. Christopher Sundgren has a real bad hip, something wrong with his hip. He might sweep. Nick said he might sweep sometime during this week, but mm -hmm. pretty tough for him to throw. But we all know that you can win with three players. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Gushu proved that to us. So, yes, Nicodine's, you know, it's going to be tough. They're on a roll, though. Sometimes rolls just don't stop. So that's my four on the men's side. Is it at the, the old Maple Leaf Gardens building, Kev? Yeah. Cool. Oh, what a great building. Oh, it's very cool, Jim. They've actually changed it a bit. The seating isn't the way it was back when it was used for the Maple Leafs. They've brought the floor up to, I'm not sure, third floor or something. Underneath is a Loblaws store. And it's a terrific store. And, and actually in the Loblaws, you've got the center ice button. Anyway, that, that's how it is. And it, it holds maybe five, 5,500. I'm guessing. I don't actually know the seating. I'm just thinking around 5,000, 5,500. Warren, what are your thoughts on the whole thing? Well, like Kevin, I'm sort of looking at teams that have been on a roll. As he suggests, if you're on a roll, you're likely to stay on one. Some have not played for a while, which we also have to consider that as well. And, and someone like Brad Gushu, they've got to be pretty tired. Man, what a year they've had. He's gone through that briar now a world with a disappointing ending. So I, I wouldn't expect Brad to probably be near the top. 
up, but who knows? Maybe there could be. But on the women's side, I somewhat agree with Kevin. I think Carrie Einerson, and I think she's already won at least two games in the uh, players. So I, I think they got to be considered, as with Muirhead, as with Terenzoni. Right now, all three of those teams have had great years and uh, on a roll. The other team I'd put in my four is Rachel Holman. And for the, the reason I'm doing this is because last week they played the Ontario Provincial, which was a little late and they aren't going anywhere. The winner won't be going to the Scotties next year because they'll play the Provincial again, but they won it. And uh, so they're on a bit of a roll at the moment as well. They played all last week, so they're coming into this event kind of on top of the world. So I'd kind of expect them to do well. On the men's side, again, pretty much we'll go with Kevin and then Mowat. We can't uh, argue either one of those. And I also Cooey. I mean, they had a great briar and they haven't played much since then, but they were on a roll. And the other team, I thought that, again, outstanding performance in the briar, if they can keep that going, is, uh, is Team Flash. be interesting to see if they're able to keep the momentum that they had because he was absolutely outstanding in the briar. Those are my picks. Warren, is the Grand Slam of Curling growing? Are they thinking of adding more events? Because people love it. I think Kevin can answer that question more than I, but I think before the pandemic hit, if I'm not uh, wrong, they were looking at uh, possibly increasing the field, were they not, of uh, more events? Yeah, it's hard to say what'll happen now, I think. But six events, there are. You know, it's going very well. The Grand Slam is just very solid property. Most of the events on the Grand Slam are sellouts. Almost always, I, I'd like to say five of the last seven before the pandemic. Of course, it's all kind of reset now once we get kind of back to normal, which is great. And, you know, and it's really exciting that ticket sales are going well here because you just don't know. You just simply don't know with the pandemic what's going to happen. And so that's been really good, well received. And thank goodness, let's get back to normal and enjoy sporting events again. Uh, okay, there you go. It sounds like the. The cream rises to the top. Uh, let's see if one of these young teams can knock one of the big guys off. Uh, it's, eventually, it's going to happen. Uh, a guy got kicked out in Vegas, uh, ejected. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Don't don't lose your temper, Kevin. Don't lose your temper. <laughs> it was Italy playing on the on the next sheet to the U.S. Corey Dropkin having to draw against. Um, I think it was three or maybe four. It was three. It was three drawing against three counters of, of Sweden's, and. Uh, as Corey Dropkin sliding out, Simone Gonin on the next sheet, the lead from Italy, misses a shot, but then doesn't hit his broom hard. Like we've seen the replays and stuff, but he, in, in frustration, bangs a broom and then bangs it again. Well, the head flies off the broom and it goes across the sheet of ice right in front of Dropkin as he's sliding. Didn't hit his, his rock, but it just went zooming right across in front. Of Corey. And Corey sees this thing go across. He throws the rock, and everybody in the building is like hoping Corey doesn't miss, because then what? But Corey makes the draw, thank goodness. The happiest guy in the building, no question, Italian lead, Gonan, that Corey made the draw. Gonan's a heck of a nice guy. Like, he's a really good curler, but a really nice person. Like just It was just a fluke. He didn't slam the broom really hard either. It was just sort of one of those weird things that happened. He was presented the Collie Campbell Memorial Award given to the male curler who best displays the ideals of sportsmanship and skill. <laughs> you know, that's wonderful. Like, I'm glad he got it because he is just a super nice guy. And what an embarrassing, awful situation. And he was ejected from the game, which is, he didn't complain. He was back for the next game. But it's just one of these things. Oh, my goodness. Like, it, it was it was something that you just can't imagine that could happen. But it did. 
And uh, thank goodness Corey Dropkin somehow had the focus and concentration to ignore that thing zooming across in front of him when he's sliding out to throw a draw against Nick Adeen to the forefoot. Incre- just an incredible situation. Warren, I thought it was a little excessive. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I, I should also add the Sportsmanship Award is voted on by the players. So it's all the other players that voted him in for the award after he's kicked out of a game, <laughs> which I thought was, are they trying to send a message? But I look at a similar situation that happened last year when we were playing in the bubble in the Briar, and uh, there was more damage created with what took place in that situation than there was in Vegas, and that player wasn't ejected. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's consistency. I think there may be issues from time to time. I know there are that may warrant that kind of reaction. Whether or not that was the one, I'm not sure, but uh, it was uh, a little added highlight to what was going on with the event in Vegas. It's not like he ran across the sheet and throat punched dropping. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a pure fluke thing, Jimmy. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. a weird thing. Stuff happens, as they say. Uh, we ran a contest this week on our Facebook page, and the winner's going to receive a pair of weekend passes to the final weekend at the Prince's Auto Players Championship being held at the Matame Athletic Center in Toronto, which is the old Maple Leaf Gardens building, as we said. Because of the time, we had to restrict this contest to people in Ontario. You can appreciate that. Here's the question we asked. Which skip has won the most Grand Slam events, and how many have they won? Hmm. I think I know. <laughs> Warren? A drum roll, Jim. Our own Kevin Martin is yes. the uh, holder of that record. It's 18 Grand Slams that he has won as skip. So congratulations to Kevin on that one. And also the winner of our contest, congratulations as well to Colin Rose, who did answer the question correctly. We did a draw of all the people that entered. Colin was correct, so he's the winner of two tickets for the weekend. I also did a second draw to make sure that we extended our winner's list a little farther. And Wendy Anderson won the second draw, and I'm going to send her a ebook copy of Sticks and Stones. Uh, Kevin, I'm waiting. You know, there's always these talk. You know, you got you got it in the NHL. You got it in golf about people who are going to break existing records. You know, Ovechkin is he going to break Gretzky's winner? And then golf tagger is he going to break Jack's record? I'm waiting for one of them, Kev. Yeah, someone might break your record. I'm waiting for one of you guys to step up when they ask, "How are you going to take it when a guy breaks your record?" I'm waiting for someone to go. I don't want it to happen. I want to keep the record. <laughs> <laughs> this record you have, Kev, it may fall. What do you think of that? I don't think that way, Jimmy. That as to these great athletes, oh my goodness, they're so good now. Somebody will break it, and that's all good. I have no problem with it at all. 18's a that's a tough number. That's a lot of winning somebody needs to do, and somebody will do it, and uh, good for them when they do. Somebody like a Bruce Mowad could uh, break that record, I think. You're my friend. I don't want them to do it. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> What's uh, happening around the curling world uh, brought to you by Sports Interaction. Thanks a lot to them. And uh, we move along now to Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling, Coyote, we dig dirt. Here's the deal. The Briar, the Scotties are 10 days. The Olympics is even longer than that. Longer than that. It was over two weeks, I think. They started curling early. Are they too long? Should we adjust this? The Grand Slam events, I think, Kevin, only six, seven days. The Canada Cup is something like that. What's this like for the players? Is it ideal? Do they want it shorter? Can they take it the way it is? How's it work for fans? How's it work for television? And for the event operators, Warren, you would know more about this than anybody. What's your take on it? I think in a a nutshell, most of these major events outside of the Grand Slam today are too long. I think without question, they're going in beyond a week to 10 days. From a player's point of view, almost two weeks, which is just too much time. 
And if I look back into history, even from, from my days, for 50 years, the Briar started on Monday and ended on Saturday. And in 1980, when Labatt's became the sponsor, it was extended. It started on Sunday and then ended on Sunday. And the main reason for that was it went into a playoff, a three-team playoff, which was only two playoff games. In those days, CBC was the main television entity involved, and they did the final and semifinal. Mm-hmm. And they would not put the games in the prime time at that period of time, which that didn't happen until in the 90s that these uh, finals started going in the prime time. So they had to have one on Saturday and one on Sundays. And that just kept going, that tradition of, uh, well, we're going to have one final on Saturday and one on Sunday, even after we were into prime time. So it has been extended maybe to some degree, I believe, unnecessarily. Uh, what's happened here in recent times, we're now bringing six teams into the playoffs, which is extending it again rather than probably four. Mm-hmm. And I think a hard look has to be taken at the whole issue with these big events that they've got to be condensed down to. I don't think starting Monday ending Sunday should be the maximum length. Uh, I think the Grand Slam has it right as far as their length. Most other competitions that aren't of uh, world or Canadian championship caliber are in that length. And I think that's they've got to look at doing that, whether it's reducing the number of teams, making sure the playoff doesn't involve more than four teams, whatever they got to do, I think everything's got to be shortened up because fans aren't attending an event like the Briar anymore. And that's one of the main reasons. They aren't going to go there for 10 days and almost take two weeks out of their time. They might go for a final weekend. At one point in time, they might go for an opening weekend, mm-hmm. but I think that's been dying, and I think that's one of the reasons why the attendance at those events has been sliding just too long. Kev, what, what, what about the option? If you're going to have you know, 12, 14, 16 teams in these events, what if they went to four draws a day? Is that ludicrous or what? And then you could do it in less days. Well, you certainly could once the games go to eight ends, and that, that is obviously going to happen. So um, that will help, yes. You know, the big thing is from the curling business side for me. And I talked to quite a few of the players over the last couple of days about this. And that's when you finish in an event somewhere, Sunday afternoon, you play the final, maybe, you know, four o'clock start, you're done around six, six thirty. And you need to be able to catch a flight and get back to either home or to the next city to be able to get there on Monday, rest, throw some practice rocks, and then the game start either Tuesday or Wednesday in the next event. And that's really important. We can't have the events go longer than starting even Tuesday evening, probably better so that the players can get to the next city and get ready and then compete again. Is It's going to playing more, playing all over the world, and you need travel time between the events. And that's where the, you know, the PGA has it right, where they, you know, they, they come in and maybe the practice round Wednesday, start Thursday and Sunday night, and then fly to wherever uh, the next city is. The other thing I talked to the players about is making sure that when you're doing the schedule, that a big event in Japan isn't followed by a big event in Oakville, Ontario, followed by a big event in South Korea. Right. right. If you're going to be in Japan for a week or two, maybe the next big group of events is wherever, be it Europe or in China or in Mm -hmm. South Korea or whatever. And then you come back to North America for three or four weeks. And we need to start to consider about the travel of these teams because talking to Eve Muirhead yesterday just traveling so much. She's not going to, a couple of the players on their team are actually a part of a wedding during the Champions Cup, so they're not going to be there. But they could have easily had to play in Toronto here. Eve is part of the uh, mixed doubles in Geneva next week. So she would play the players, fly to Geneva, play the mixed doubles worlds, and then have to fly back to Olds for the Canada Cup. We just need some basic strategy here between all the different groups. We keep saying that, Warren. We need all the different groups to get together 
and and discuss locations of all these events that all these players from from Europe, Asia, and North America, and everywhere else that the players are coming from, and so that travel is more reasonable, and that the starting time of the event is you know, Tuesday sometime, Tuesday night or something. That way you can actually get to the from one event to the next event before it starts. We've got this situation right now, I think, that one group is acting like the other one doesn't exist, which is just craziness, and this needs to stop. Anyway, we've said that enough times. <laughs> Maybe they'll start listening, yeah. <laughs> Six teams uh, got to go to the playoffs. Warren, you've you've always said, okay, that's not, you know you're you're setting yourself up here for for someone who can get lucky on one day, and it it might throw off the balance of who should be winning. Let's talk about that, about round robins and and the playoff system. We had Pierre Charette on, and he suggested the best is the page system. We've seen other things that are kind of complicated the way teams get to the playoffs and who wins. What do you say to all this, Warren? What what should happen with playoffs? Well, I think we're leaning towards, particularly at the Canadian World Events, to putting too many teams into playoffs. And I think, to some degree, complicated, uh, not clear systems where you're not sure what's happening. And in, and in some instances, the team that finishes in first place not being really given the edge that they've deserved by becoming first. And that's the thing I think the page system gives a, a, a team. If you've finished in first place or second, you're going to have a little bit of a jump. And uh, if you can come back and put two good games together in a row... With a little break in between, you're going to be the winner. But we now have situations where you start bringing in six teams in these playoffs. And I think particularly in the recent Worlds, you know, Gushu could have easily gone through that event undefeated. So he could have been sitting there in first place undefeated. And now there's a team coming in, in this case of the Worlds in Vegas, that had six losses, Switzerland. And by winning two games, all of a sudden, uh, that team could have been heading head on with Gushu, who hadn't won, lost one game in a sudden death playoff. It just isn't. It doesn't fit. I don't think it's right. And I, I believe, in any playoff, these events with round robins, that four teams coming forward should be the maximum. The Briars example this year with nine teams on one side, nine on the other. The two top teams go through the page playoff. It's perfect. So why keep bringing this extra team through? Uh, it doesn't make any sense because the chances of that team winning as well are very, very slight. If you look back in the records of the Briar and Scotties, the fourth place team coming even into the final might have happened a couple of times, but it just doesn't happen. So you're putting your top teams th- again through a, an additional grind that's hard on them. And it really doesn't prove anything because you can pretty much predict who's going to win unless something very strange happens. So I think for the most part, there shouldn't be more than four teams in the playoff and probably the best way of doing it is the page system. What do you say, Kev? Is there a perfect way? I don't know if there's a perfect way. I I really enjoyed back in the day, the top three teams uh, at the Briar getting into the playoffs. I enjoyed that. And the top team going straight to the final and the second and third playing in the semi. I quite enjoyed that. I thought it was really quite good. Very fair. You play a huge round robin. And the award, you know, the reward for playing well for the entire week was quite a lot. Getting first place, getting into the final, that was a big deal. I, I don't mind the page, though. I have no problem with the page. First and second, you've earned it. You've worked hard all week. And the winner of that game goes to the final. Loser has a chance in the semi. You get that extra uh, loss, which is great. Yeah, and once you go deeper than that, you're starting to get to teams that are almost at, uh, batting 500. Um, and, and that's just, they should not be part of the playoffs, in my opinion. I just think you play that long round robin, there should be a prize at the end of that round robin for you if you manage to be near the top. Do it like the FedEx Cup. You know, if you win you win the sort of round robin stuff going in, then you, you get a lead going, <laughs> going into the final round. Give, give them two points. 
I think the other thing is to, again, this is uh, by all these groups getting together, there needs to be some consistency in, in what is happening with regard to these playoffs. Not every week you're you're asking yourself, so what's the playoff system this week? Oh, that's different than it was last year. Hmm, wonder why they did that. Then you go to the next event and you're, oh, they changed that. Why did that happen? So I, I, they, they need to get consistent and they need to all get on the same page. And for a while there we were. We had both the world and Canada and the U.S. were all on the uh, – on the page system, and so there was some continuity. U.S. has another little flair into their events they've used on occasion they call a modified page that I didn't mind either in the fact that it was a three-team playoff where in the first round, team one plays team two, the winner goes to the final, and the loser played in the semifinal. I don't mind that either, but once you get beyond that, it's just it's too confusing, and uh, I don't believe it's fair to those teams that have won the right to be on top. Right on. If you've got an opinion, the good listener, on this or anything else, join our Facebook group uh, and weigh in there, or insightcurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hot Rock Topics is brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Each and every show, we have a segment called Mailbag, this week is no exception. We've, we've got an email. It's brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. And I do like it. I'm still on it. It's keeping my weight down. Here it is from Noah Sadoff. Or Sadoff. Uh, sorry if I mispronounced that. Hello, boys. Uh, Kevin compared his idea of a World Cup for curling to the World Cup they have for skiing. Skiing also has a second and third tier pro cups with emphasis on specific continents as well as junior cups. Do you believe in addition to a World Cup, curling should also have second and third tier pro cups as well as junior cups? That's from Noah. I know, Warren, you have suggested that, that uh, and so have you, Kevin. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I, I, I think it's a great idea, um, the whole idea of a World Cup. The players are starting to like it. Like I, I, I kind of put that past all the different players that I interviewed over the last couple of days and just gets people thinking about having a world event, true world event, where there's more than one team allowed from the strong countries. If you've got countries that have X amount of teams in the top 20 or top 40 or top 50, whatever you deem to be the number, that changes the amount of teams that you can have in the World Cup. Some countries that are really strong might be able to have three teams in it. Other countries are only allowed one on the women's and men's and mixed double sides. And just be a wonderful event. And I think that would really help some of the teams that say in, in a country like Sweden, the second best men's team, who I don't know who that is, because of course, Nicodine goes to all the championships. But there's probably a really good team underneath there who could use some experience because Nick's not going to curl forever. And then that team coming up needs to have played at the world level some. Rano is a good example on the women's side. You know, there's just teams that, that need that experience that are good enough. They, they rank high enough, but the top team in the country just is so good that you just don't have a chance. Yes, without question, uh, the second tier and even third tier thing is has, has to be dealt with, and everybody can't be in the top rung. That just doesn't make sense. I mean, we go to the point at the World Championship now with 13 teams. Now, it should be 10, and it should be a B pool that has the next team, and you, and you have a process of where you go up and down. Something that's severely lacking right now is probably a second tier of championship play, like the Slam. And again, hopefully uh, there can be things that happen when discussions between probably Curling Canada, WCF, probably the Grand Slam, and the next year's coming, that this can begin to be better organized. And that there is a distinct second tier, and there's a distinct way of how you move from one tier to the other. A whole developmental system that 
really isn't in place right now needs to be looked at being brought together. And I know that's that's not an easy task. It's a difficult one, but it's not going to happen until all the parties involved start talking about it and start to try and figure out ways of how some of these various things can happen. So Noah was right. We need to do a lot more work in this area, and and, and particularly in the junior. We're going to talk next week in the show about something that's going on in, in Sweden next week. It's pretty interesting. It's at the junior level just before the World Junior Championship. So we'll talk about that on our show next week. We call that a little teaser, Warren. A little teaser. Noah, you are going to uh, receive a copy of Warren's book, Sticks and Stones, which is all about the Olympics. Uh, and if we read your email, you'll win a copy of that too. So thanks a lot to Noah for that. And thank you to Nestle for sponsoring the mailbag. Okay, time for our guest. Oh my God, is he accomplished? It's brought to you by Goldline Curling Equipment. It can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can also be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Kevin, you sat down with our guest. I mentioned at the top of the show, like I said, I ran out of ink, man, trying to write down all his accomplishments. He might be the most decorated curler of all time. And of course, we're talking about Oscar Erickson, and you spent some time with him earlier in the week, Kev. Oscar, thank you very much. Congratulations again on the gold medal at the World Championship after, of course, the gold medal at the Olympics and the bronze medal in mixed doubles at the Olympics. And uh, uh, what a crazy year. Uh, Your thoughts on this season? Oh, it's been crazy. What a ride. Just winning that gold medal as a team incredible feeling not really sure i've taken it all in yet but winning worlds after makes it a little bit easier i think getting here to toronto for the players championship talking to nick before your final in vegas and he had mentioned something about sunday night having to take a red eye oh, anyway how, how did you get here yeah normal tickets to toronto were sold out when we started looking so I had to take the red eye through houston texas and then uh, yeah back up people that know the geography here uh, from vegas you don't go through Houston to get to Toronto easily. So then, and then you got here like let's see, Sunday night the final was. So you got here Monday early afternoon, and you play Tuesday afternoon only twenty four hours later, ready to go, <laughs> ready to go, full of energy, ready to go. Let's talk about the crazy times a little bit in in terms of winning all you've won, engagements, things you've got to do. Have you even had time to start doing speaking engagements and and, and that type of thing yet? Ah, uh, not really. We haven't been home for more than a couple of weeks after the Olympics since we had to go play uh, Swedish Nationals, World Championships, and now this. So haven't really had the time being home and plan all that stuff. Yeah, so I'm just kind of wondering about that with, with Sweden and curling in Sweden. Like you guys obviously are, are extremely famous um, in, in Sweden now and, and to maybe expand the sport and be able to speak at various schools and, and, and really promote the game. Is that a plan of, of, of your team, like you and Nick and, and Rasmus and Christopher? Maybe not just for our team, more for like Swedish curling. Uh, I think it's great if we can try to grow it and we would love to be a part of it, like getting new kids to start curling. We have a few that are really up and coming. Uh, they're going to play the World Juniors in Sweden. So um, I think uh, the future looks pretty good and hopefully... This gold medal will uh, bring more kids to curling. 
Oh, well, I'm sure it will, actually. And that's great to hear. When it comes to setting up teams, so so you get a bunch of kids in, involved in the game, which is great. I guess, how does that work? And then, and then going up from junior, does that national body kind of pick the team? or How does that work in your country? Hey, it's pretty much up to yourself, unless you have a coach or someone in the club running things. But usually it's just the individuals. You find a team that you like or a group of friends from school. If you're lucky, uh, for me, it was just I started through family. And a few guys in the same age group started pretty much the same time. So started playing with them and then years gone by and just try to be on a, a good team as possible. Um, something that our team did, and, and, and I don't know if yours does, um, goal setting. You set yourself maybe for the next four years. Is that something that your team does, is sets goals for yourself along the way? Yes. I think that's the easiest way for us is to do it like quadrennial set goals after Pyeongchang. It was really easy setting up the new goal and I was to win the gold medal here in Beijing. So, um, well, with that, Oscar, so your goal, you said it is, okay, we got to, we, we got to step up that podium one more time. I remember that real well. Like it's good to set one goal like that four years into the future, but you've got to build to that. How, how do you do that as a team? Few goals every season, result wise, and then individually as well, like how to get there. Like you can, you can easily say we want to win gold, but how do you do the trip to get there and to be the best you? Yeah, and I think that's really important for the young people that are, are going to watch this, that we're talking, and to understand all you've won. Like, how, how does that happen? How is it possible to, to do that? And the, and the goal setting is very important, I think. It is. Let's talk about the curling season because it's, it starts very early and goes <laughs> very late now. And um, there's four-person curling and then mixed doubles you're involved in. And my, I guess my point, how are you going to be able to deal with your schedule and with your health as you play more and more? What's your schedule like? And is it, is it too much? Uh, sometimes it feels like it's too much, but that's what it takes also, I think, to be the best. I wish we could just pick here and there what we want to play, but maybe we won't make points enough to be in the biggest tournaments and making sure we're in great form going into the championships. So... It's, it's a little bit give and take and some tournaments are not as fun to play and your motivation is not as high, but that brings the big tournaments to even more fun. So This is something that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast and, uh, and we talk about it off ice a fair amount. And that's when we look at Canadian curling, you've got um, the Canada Cup and then you've got Briar Scotties and so on. And then when you look at World Curling Federation curling, Europeans of course, and World Championships, I think, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on a middle road with players' events, the Grand Slams. It's the best against the best. Yeah. If nine teams from one country are in the top 16, those nine are all in that event because it's just purely best against the best. But a World Cup-type format where, pick a country, it doesn't matter, uh, South Korea women, strong, but you're maybe only allowed two teams from that country. Uh, and then you have maybe three teams from Canada and two from here, two from there. And it's not just a like a world championship where one team comes from each country and kind of it's like half the field's really strong and half isn't. You don't need to say that, I do. But it's true. And then the Grand Slams are different because it's all best against the best. But a World Cup would be, if you have a strong program, you get to have two or three teams in it. But if you have one really strong team, they're in it. But with that then expands the schedule even more. Thoughts on that World Cup type idea? They tried it, World Curling. 
but I only think they had one team per nation. It was like eight teams total, if I remember it correctly. Right, right. right. I'm definitely thinking something different. Uh, no question. Like you said, if you can have two or three from a couple of nations, that would make it really tough in a lot of games. But also good competition, which the great teams like. Right. And, and my thought thinking is in case of uh, places like Sweden where you guys are just so strong and Anna Hasselborg is so strong, the young teams coming up are very good. Yep. <laughs> great teams. I got not a lot different than Scotland with Bruce uh, Mowat yep. and then Ross Patterson and, of course, uh, Ross White in behind. But in this case, they can also get to championships. Right now, they, they can't because you're too good and Anna's too good and Bruce is too good really hold back the younger kids so a World Cup type thing might help them. It, it could definitely do that. We still got, on the women's side, Ronald's team, they're here, Rasmus's younger sister, doing slams, uh, doing better and better every year, challenging Anna's team. So Then on the men's side, we finished ninth in the Swedish Championship <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So uh, <laughs> yeah. wow, we got a few teams coming up. So hopefully uh, they can start doing good results on the tour and challenge us. Christopher Sundgren couldn't finish the Worlds. What's going on? And is he going to be okay? Can he play here at the Players or at the Champions Cup? Or like where? What, what's going on with uh, with Christopher? Uh, something in his hip. I'm not really sure, like all the words in English for it, but something in his hip uh, socket, um, pushing the nerve. So in some position, it really hurts, like shooting pain down his leg. So when he's sliding, when he's sweeping doesn't really feel good for him so we'll see about if he can play this week uh, we've been talking a little bit about it if he can play lead rocks and then just judge four rocks and then be in the house that's one way we could do it to have all four on the ice uh, just to make sure we have four or two sweepers for my shots and nicholas's shots okay so Dan- daniel's not coming no we couldn't afford that so he had to go home that was another question i was going to ask okay so yeah you're fifth at the worlds and olympics yeah, he's not coming to the players. So Christopher's here, and then, okay, you'll deal with it that way. So do you want to play, Kevin? Want to play lead rocks and do some sweeping? <laughs> Christopher's hip is better than my hip. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, mine's actually pretty good now. It's made of metal, so we're, we're 100% now. I don't want to dive into this too much, but there's so much talk about the ice and the rocks at the World Championships last week. I, I, we have to talk about it a little bit. So I, I was behind the sheets. I was there all week watching, and uh, so there was a lot of people shot 100% during the week. In the final, things were tricky, at least to a certain degree. Kind of maybe walk me through the week. If things maybe changed from the start to the end or what your thoughts were? I started off a little bit tricky, as always in the championship, like fresh eyes, new set of rocks. And we are slow starters, so that's the good thing with long championships for us. 12 games in round robin. First few games, like the first weekend, uh, was a little bit tricky. We couldn't really figure out what happened to the rocks and the ice. Yes, misread a couple of shots. After that, we said, yes, try to make more shots, figure out the ice, and it got a little bit better Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then the longer the week gone on, we could start seeing like tracks on the ice and it was getting more and more like a half pipe. Uh, so coming around corner guards from the inside was a little bit tougher. Like in the beginning, we had maybe five to six feet going to the middle and four to five to the wings. But in the end, we had closer to three feet going to the wings and still six feet going to the middle. So it was dished. Yes. Like a half, half pipe. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So made it tough if you were behind. But then all the new rules, uh, five rock rule we've had for a couple of years now, and then no tick rule gave you the chance to come back in games. You could also see that 
couple of line scores that were surprises. Like we lost a four-point lead against Switzerland early on. Switzerland lost the four-point lead the game after to Gushu. So everything could happen out there. So no tick. Let's, let's, let's just go there. So for people that don't know, it was a trial put on by the World Curling Federation in the, both the women's worlds and the men's worlds. And that's uh, any rock on the center line. The opposition could not move it off the center line until after the fifth rock of the end. Yep. Uh, do you think that made a difference and to what degree? It did make a difference for sure. We're not a team that usually play tick shots early in games, mostly in like the last two ends if we're ahead, which happens sometimes. But as you say, like you can't remove it. So even if a missed shot clicks the guard, okay, that shot is gone. They, they have all the pressure on you now. So yeah, it was dif- different and made it a little bit difficult, but gave the chances to the teams chasing the game. Right. So if we look at it from the, from the I guess, the sports, looking at it from, from curling and from the fans, yep. uh, a positive or a negative? We'll see about that. Got to let the, the fans have their voice heard and see if they liked it more. Scoreboards up and down, like big comebacks, some runovers as well. So we'll see if they liked it more. But for me, it was okay. Uh, still managed to win. So <laughs> I think you're playing that here again this week as well. <laughs> we are. So it was good, good practice last week. Yeah, for the players, exactly. I think this is an important one, the length of events. It takes a long time for in curling for us to ch- crown the champ. Yeah, I don't know why. Like in the, in the case of the world, 13 teams, and it took almost 13 days. Almost. <laughs> almost 13 days to, to crown the champ. You know, you, you watch golf tournaments, and there are some long events in other sports, but for the most part, you want to get in and battle, crown the champ, carry on. If it's, a, if it's a sport like curling where it's an event sport, you get on the next event. You just you need a gold medalist, silver medalist, bronze medalist in events like that, or you need champion, runner-up, third and fourth. Is there no way we can do this quicker? I think we can. Like, all, all the tour events are like that, quicker. Like, half week, just a weekend. Slams are now nowadays from Tuesday to Sunday, but then the playoffs are spread out more, so the first half of the tournament is really quick. I know, yes, our team makes it like have better results when the tournaments are longer. I think we're just better at the more time we get, the better we get to read the ice and get the feel for the rocks and be more precise at the end of the week. So for us, it wouldn't be better at the start, but uh, it would be a great thing also to, to learn to be better and to read the ice as fast as possible. Yeah, when I'm just looking at it from the from Gen, Gen Zers and Millennials, anything long, a game that's long, an event that's long, anything that's long, I just don't think that that appeals right. to, to that age of, of person in, in the world. And, and I really worry about that with our events being too long. I just, I, I really think we need to shorten the game up to always eight ends, shorten up the event, <laughs> crown that champ quicker, yeah. and then go to the next country because curling is growing so fast worldwide. Is that something you see when you travel to wherever, you, like Asia or into all over Europe or North America, US, incredible growth. Do you see that from your side of things when you're competing? Yeah, a little bit. Like, it feels like it's growing. Even in Sweden, it's growing a little bit and all the countries you mentioned already. So I think you're right with shortening, shortening the, the games and tournaments too. It would be great. We're going to see more more champions for sure. Uh, it's going to be more spread out. If you go back to World Championships, Olympics, Breyer, Canada Cup, all that, you have pretty much the same champions over and over again. Like in Canada, how many champions have you had over the last eight years? Exactly. It's three teams. If you have shorter tournaments, you got to see more 
or different champions, I think. Like if you have a four-day competition, anyone can win. And for you, before we let you go, for your play, I want to hear about, because you also won the bronze medal in mixed doubles at the Olympic Games. And you and I talked before this, when we were just chatting about just health and, and you're, you're as fit as people can be. But when you travel so much, play so many sports, sweeping all the time, travel in an airplane, sleeping in awkward positions. Is Oscar Erickson going to continue to play mixed doubles, continue to do both? What's, what's, what's going on with you going forward in the next four years? I need to have a breather this summer and just relax, reflect on everything that happened the last four years and then start planning the next four years. Uh, and I don't think mixed doubles is going to be a priority the first year. Maybe if one or two tournaments would fit my schedule and our team schedule, uh, it's a possibility. But I think for next year, it's a, it's a break from the mixed doubles. But who knows, getting closer to the Olympics and getting a chance to win one more medal, it's always uh, motivation. The whole uh, idea of, of uh, like you've got a fan base of millions around the world. For people wondering about sponsorship and the business side of curling for your team in Sweden, is it a vast amount of money? Like what, what's, what's team Nicodine look like uh, financially? Uh, it's uh, not as good as people think for sure. We're really lucky we have the Swedish uh, Olympic Association and Swedish curling covering a lot of expenses for us. Sponsor-wise, we don't have a lot. Yeah, winnings. We got to do good at slams and tour events. We wish we could make some money by winning Olympics and gold medals from world championships, but that's not the way it is right now. Okay, so Olympic gold in Sweden, uh, it's not like an amount of money that just comes to you for winning that gold medal for your country? No, it's not. The money we get is based on results. So the money the Swedish Olympic Committee gives us over the four-year quadrennial. So if we do good, we get money spread out over the four years, covering events, hotels, flights, so we can afford competing. But that's just expenses, basically. Yeah. As far as like working, um, would you be almost looked at as uh, you work for the country kind of thing? Like, is it a monthly sort of a, a check comes that way? Like, I just don't understand. I, I, the way it worked for us, you get a certain amount of uh, airtime, you do a certain amount of minutes on air, your sponsors then, depending on how much airtime you get, they pay X amount. And then more and more, as you, like you guys, when you're really, really popular, um, the sponsorships are worth a, a great deal because of how popular you are and how much time you have on air and, and, and digital as well. In one way, it works a little bit like that. Like if we're not on TV, on the championships, it's tough for sponsors to give us money and say, oh, here you go, because you're on TV somewhere else or you're showing Canadian games when we're in, in the slams. And those games are not showed on Swedish television. But it's growing. The championships, uh, Europeans and Worlds and Olympics, it's getting more and more broadcasted in Sweden, which is good. So hopefully that will uh, show us a little bit more and hopefully that can generate more money and sponsorships. Yeah, hopefully that can grow for the next group coming up too, like the younger ones that are coming up. Because in my opinion, it's, it's, it's really hard to attract young people to a sport at the high level if they can't see a, a real reward at the end of the time. At least with my personality, and you know, when you're trying to choose in Canada, do you want to be Gretzky or do you want to be whatever, whatever sport you want to be? Uh, and, and you look to that athlete as a hero and you want to be that. And it's a lot easier to go that direction if, if you think, well, there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow as a kid. You're right. Let's hope it gets there for curling as well. Right now, it's not there for, for us, but 
we try as hard as we can and uh, yeah the sport is so much bigger here in Canada than it is back in Sweden but it's growing so all we can do is uh, work hard for it and hopefully even if it doesn't happen for us it could happen for the next generation no doubt motivation well congratulations on the year so far good luck at the players Champions Cup thanks a lot for taking the time thank you Boy, what a guy, Kev. Got to be the best curler in the world. Certainly the best third, Kevin. Well, you know what? He well, he has to be uh, up there. You know, there's, there's a lot of bests. But you're right. Oscar Erickson's an amazing player. And uh, how do you argue, really? No no question. Uh, thank you to Goldline uh, for that. And uh, great interview, Kev. Well done. Let's whip along. Uh, Kevin, you're on again. Story time. Uh, we love it. We do it each and every week. And we've had some great ones and a lot of fun with it. Meridian Manufacturers, the sponsor of that. They are your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners and also a proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Kev, you're going into, uh, you're, you're dragging something out from the past. What do you got? <laughs> well, you know what? This is a, an event that was run for quite a few years out in Victoria. It started as, uh, I think it was called the Bear Mountain Curling Classic, put on by L. Sutherland, Sudsy, a really good friend of mine. It was kind of like a Grand Slam, but it wasn't a Grand Slam because it was put on by uh, by Al and his organizing committee. And it was played in Victoria. I don't know what year this was. We were playing uh, Wayne Madaw. We're in the last end, and the game's tied. And there's a corner guard, and there's two. he has two rocks frozen to each other. And this is actually, by the way, Kathy King was on the, on the, the sheet adjacent. She told me to tell this in story time. So it's actually Kathy remembered this situation. Okay. So we're in the final and uh, in the last end and Wayne's got two rocks frozen in the side of the eight foot and there's a corner guard in play and another rock on the other side. So I have to blast out the two that are in the house with a real hard out turn peel. And if we make that, then Wayne's likely going to go around the corner and then uh, I'm going to have to draw eight foot to win. Anyway, that's the song and dance that's going on. So I go down on the ice, and I've got to throw a heater down there, and I go to throw it really hard. And all I remember is I just slammed down on the ice incredibly hard. I, I, I didn't go anywhere. And what, what the hell? What had happened is the hacks, the hacks, they'd been in the ice all week. They blew out of the ice. Like it completely blew, shattered the end of the rink and, and took out everything. And of course, I went nowhere. I went straight down hard on my knee and my my body because all that force went straight down into the ice. Anyway, Shannon Clybrink was on the next sheet on the other side. And so she comes over to make sure I'm okay. And, I, and I'm kind of no idea what's going on. The rock's right beside me. It hit the boards and... And Madaw comes down. He says, uh, you okay? <laughs> I, I was fine. I didn't hurt myself. But, but the hacks are gone. So the hacks are gone out of the sheet. So what we decided to do was to measure exactly where the rocks were in the other end, bring them to the end where I blew the hacks out, and we'd play the last few rocks the other direction to decide on who won the Bear Mountain Curling Classic. And so the rocks were frozen in the eight foot. We put them exactly where they were, put the corner guard exactly where it was. And then then I got in the hack the other end and threw the double, made the double. Wayne went around on the outturn, got full eight. I had to draw a full eight for the win. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'd never seen that before. I've never seen it since where the hacks completely, and they'd been used all week, like it was a long tournament, mm -hmm. and just blew the hacks completely out of the ice. Now you've given me an idea how to beat a Dean. Loosen up the hacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
those hacks don't come loose. Anybody that curled in the vents, like they're they're solid, right? Yeah, I think it depending upon uh, how much time they've had to put the ice in, they probably the thickness of the ice to some degree, and maybe a little bit of air in what they were what they were doing when they put that particular hack in. But uh, certainly, when these events are being done. Uh, on a short basis, it's not a curling club. It's easy to have uh, those kind of slight errors. You're right. I've never heard that before either. There's a piper down. There's a piper down. <laughs> Martin is down. Martin is in the choir. He's down. <laughs> I bet there's a few guys, Kevin, your curling day that would have loved to see that. Yeah, fall down there, Martin. You're winning too much. <laughs> okay, very good. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We also want to thank Rod Paulson, his uh, company, In-House Strategies, who looks after our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Go ahead and check it out, and we invite you to join. Send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com, and you're going to get a copy of Warren's book if we read it. Uh, your email on air, uh, it's called Sticks and Stones. It's all about curling in the Olympics. So that's it, boys. Kev, you're, uh, you got a full sked again this week, to covering the Grand Slam. Yeah, you bet. We'll start uh, start broadcasting on uh, on Thursday morning, right through till Sunday uh, Sunday evening. You bet. And who's your partner? Oh well, Mike Harris is with us, and Joan McCusker, and Rob Falds, and we'll be ready to go with the whole Sportsnet crew. And really looking forward to it. Really exciting to play at uh, the old Maple Leaf Gardens Academy Athletic Center. Love it. Cool. The old gang's back together. Warren, what's up for you for the rest of the week? Well, Jim, maybe start working on the next Inside Curling show, and I hear rumor we might do a show Friday, so get to that, I guess. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Warren. We'll talk to everyone next week, or possibly this Friday, uh, another episode of Inside Curling. See you later, boys. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.